Good morning. If you have a copy of the Bible handy, would you be turning to Matthew chapter 19? Matthew chapter 19. We are grateful for your presence this morning. We're grateful for the opportunity to fellowship together. We're mindful of all those who have been mentioned. We're thankful for those who have led us in service so far. Brian lead us in our singing and Jerry and his thoughts about the Lord's Supper and the communion and Keith and leading us in prayer. Keith made mention, of course, Brian had mentioned in class that there was a a uh, person yesterday who had lost their life down here by the, by the lake when a tree fell during the storms. We want to remember them. Uh, some of you may have also seen, especially some of you Saudi folks, I believe I saw on Facebook uh, that there was a young lady that Jerry Renfro had mentioned to us several times, Kara, I never knew her last name, but Carcion or uh, something along those lines that had had cancer for a while now, and she succumbed to that and passed away the end of last week. And so um, certainly want to remember those in our community who are suffering and all those who are on our sick list. We are so grateful that you're here today. As always, we make mention of our lunch that we'll have here in a few minutes, if you can be with us for that and also our afternoon service, and then as had been said, we are on week three or four total of Bible camps with more to come, and uh, we want to remember all those who will be traveling and their safety, and, and uh, there will be several who will be going this week, and we are mindful of them. Please don't forget the v VBS meeting in just a few moments when we finish our services as well. Anyone who is, uh, would like to help, we have some sign-up sheets, and we'll go over what we're covering and everything, but we're going to look forward to a great day on that uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, the 1st of August or the 1st of the month there, uh, and we want to be making plans for that. And certainly as we'll be kind of uh, tied up with our Bible camp in a few weeks, we want to get all the information out and let everyone be getting ready and planning and then uh, come back and, and be ready to really hit the ground running and, and looking forward to a good afternoon together there. You know, if you turn to Matthew chapter 19 and you make mention of Matthew chapter 19, you usually think of the idea of marriage. And not only marriage, but sometimes we mention Matthew chapter 19 and we talk about divorce because Jesus makes mention of that passage here and he talks about Matthew chapter 19 and, and verse number 9. The sermon that I'd like to share with you this morning is one that, that I'm borrowing the outline from Brother Gus Nichols. Some of you know the name Gus Nichols, and he uh, was a great gospel pre preacher for many years, wrote several books, and, and like other gospel preachers who have lots of great sermons, those are usually sometimes compiled together and put into a book form and, and then passed down. And I love sometimes to go back through my books and to go through and look and see some of the old sermons that have been put together by previous preachers. I think it's really interesting to see maybe how sermons have changed a little bit, certain topics, the way that things are put together. But I also, they hold a special place in my heart because of the fact that many of those books that I have have been passed down through the years. And, and I've used sermons out of this particular book before, but it's entitled Sermons of, of Gus Nichols. But if you go into my office and you open up that book or you were to kind of grab it by the spine maybe and just hold from there, it would fall apart. Because it's a book that I got from one of Hannah's grandfathers, Freddie's dad, who preached for many years as well. And what he would do is he would go into that book, and as he borrowed them, he would go through and cut them out. And so if you open up that book, they're all going to come falling out, and you have a hard time getting them together. Luckily, these have page numbers on the bottom of them. Uh, but I love the fact that not only are they some of Brother Nichols' sermons, but passed down then to Hannah's grandfather and maybe even Freddie and now to me to be able to use and while certainly sermons have changed, maybe topics have changed and things that we talk about, there are many sermons that are timeless. There are so many that we can consider and that are very encouraging for us even today. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 6 in particular says, So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate or let not man put asunder. You know, I don't know if there's really a wedding season. Sometimes the spring is when weddings take place, but also through the summer and even all, all times around the year now, weddings are going on. And a lot of times during, uh, during weddings and during the, the part that the preacher is saying, this is a verse that may be used. It may be quoted. It may be talked about for just a few moments as it relates to marriage and what God has joined together. There's a greater context there in Matthew chapter 19 about the wonderful bliss of marriage and God's plan for marriage. What we're going to do this morning, though, is pivot on that thought and think about not just marriage, but seven things in total that God has put together that man should not separate or put asunder. In fact, Jesus would say it another way in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 30, Jesus would say, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You see, we might could also say in connection with that, anyone, anyone is an enemy of God and working against God who would go about to put asunder what God has joined together. God has joined together a lot of things. In fact, Brother Nichols, in his sermon outline, used 15. But before anybody passes out, we're only going to cover seven this morning, right? Fifteen different things, at least, that God has joined together that man should not separate. Let's consider seven of those things this morning. Number one, husband and wife. So that's certainly the context of this verse here, and we're going to touch on it before we move on to some other things. But God has joined together husband and wife. And we talk about that here from Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. God's plan is that they stay joined together. Unfortunately, many people call a preacher for their wedding ceremony. They bring them, him in. They want him to come and do the ceremony. He may talk about this particular passage, but it's not really considered. Maybe even the two people who are going into it aren't even really, we might say, religious people. And they, they want to have a a preacher there or a minister there to do the service but but it doesn't really matter to them and and maybe even deep down inside they know that that most people get divorced so it may just be their lot in life that they may get divorced and and they may get married again and, and all these things but we need to understand that God is serious about marriage that Jesus is serious when he makes this statement here and what God hath joined together let not man separate or put asunder That is absolutely true, and while this sermon is not going to focus the rest on the time on marriage and divorce and even remarriage, this passage here reminds us that God has joined together husband and wife. It is beautiful, it is beautiful in that moment, in that moment of a wedding ceremony. You know, we've been a part of of several over the course of our lifetime together in various ways and family members and friends. And and I always think about, I enjoy doing wedding ceremonies. I I just do as the preacher. Most of the time it's because I get to kind of step out of all the craziness and stress that's going on amongst parents and in-laws and husband and wife, right? It's It's kind of stressful and everybody's kind of on edge. But as the preacher, I enjoy doing them. But no matter what the stress is, no matter how much people were arguing or the things didn't work right or that didn't come in or whatever, in that moment, it's most often a beautiful ceremony and at least a beautiful few moments together where we think about God joining together this man and woman. And when God does that, let not man put asunder. Number two, moving on from marriage, and as you can see, we're going to kind of pivot here on this thought and think about some other things. Number two, we might say God has joined together Old and New Testaments. 
Old and New Testaments. Now, there's a couple of ways we could talk about that. Number one, we think about the Jews and those who may be Jewish today, they say. The Jews would reject the New Testament and they would reject Jesus. And so they, they talk about it kind of differently. And they say that they would claim the Old Testament, but maybe some would say we reject the New Testament. You may have met others who have issues with, with what you claim to believe as a Christian as a Bible believer, when they say the God of the Old Testament was evil or hateful or he was a murderer, all these things that come out of these Old Testament stories. Or they say, well, you know, you all don't have instruments or you all don't do this or do that. So do you even believe in the Old Testament? But the truth is, God hath joined together the Old and the New Testaments. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 6, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul would write, our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Go a little further to verse 14 and notice, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. Again, I appreciate Brother Jerry's comments during our thoughts around the communion there, the Lord's table in Hebrews, and how the new covenant, the new testament, Jesus and the blood of Jesus are better. And so there were those who were struggling to go back to the old, and that may still be the case today. We know that Paul would say as well in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all scripture... All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished, or thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is there so that we can learn, yes, certainly the new covenant under which we live, but also the Old Testament. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, the kind of parallel to Romans 15, 4, that all these things, these Old Testament things, happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. It's why we've spent a lot of Sunday mornings so far this year looking at the Old Testament. We've called it Sunday school catch-up. But that's because those things are written for our admonition. In Romans 15, 4, he talks about our hope that we can have hope learning from those Old Testament examples. God hath joined together the old and the new. We may not live under the old, and there may be more that we need to discuss there if you're unsure what I'm meaning or saying, but he hath joined them together. They're written so that we can grow and mature and learn about God. Number three, God hath joined together Christ and the church. Christ and the church. Some people will say, well, I will take Christ, but I want to reject his church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, in that, that famous passage or statement, that you are Peter, he says to Peter there, and on this rock, not Peter being the rock, but on the statement that is made in verse number 16, what Peter said, on this rock I will build my church. You see, from that moment on, and really from the mind of Christ, from the very beginning, there was a connection between Christ and the church. But Jesus begins to open that up and to say that here, I will build my church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul writes about Christ and the church. He says, and he, that's God, 
put all things under his feet, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fits all in all. How connected are they? Head and body. That's how connected Christ and the church are to be. When people say, well, I want Jesus, give me Jesus and I'll follow Jesus, but I don't want to come to your church. I don't want to be a part of that. They're missing this picture of the head and the body. But not only that, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 about what picture that helps us understand Christ and the church? But about marriage about husband and wife, as the two become one, as husband and wife are joined together, so are to be Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, 23 through 26. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. The church is subject to Christ, as wives are to be in subjection to their own husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. Christ and the church are inseparable. I'm not sure if it's just a cop-out. I don't even know if I know anyone personally that's ever said that. But if you hear someone say something along those lines of, I want Jesus, and I'll take the words of Jesus, but you know, the church has hurt me. The church is full of hypocritical people. The church is not a good institution, and there are all kinds of problems and abuses that go on. Those things are absolutely true, that those things do occur. But that's not the way it should be. The way it should be is that Christ and the church are joined together. And what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Number four, faith and works. Faith and works. God has joined together faith and works. Many people try to put these asunder when they claim to be saved by faith only. Of course, James is one who writes a lot about this. The entire passage we might say, is James 2, verses 14 through 16. James 2, verses 14 through 16, or excuse me, 26. 14 through 26. I'm sorry if I've been saying that wrong. 14 through 26. It's in verse 17 that James says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Friends, I I don't know any other plainer way to say it. I'm not sure. I know there are other passages that might seem to contradict that. There are other places that say that we are saved by faith, and that is absolutely true. But for a person to say that we're saved by faith only or by belief only, they're just not being honest with the entirety of Scripture. Because God hath joined together faith and works. And James makes it very plain here when he says that we have to have works or else our faith is dead. We could line people up. We could go up and down the road here. We could stop at any church building in between here and wherever. And if you ask people if they want to have a dead faith, I think they'd say no. Then they must have works. We know that Jesus says in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's absolutely true that a person must have faith. They must believe. But then again, we've talked about Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Verses 8 and 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. The Hebrew writer would say that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. That's what we're after, right? Most people in the world would agree that's what we want, eternal salvation. Well, then who is going to obtain it? Those who obey him. 
He is the author, he is the writer, the creator of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Obey him. That involves works. That involves doing some things. We talked about it on Wednesday night, if you were with us, and many of you may not have been able to, but we've mentioned our study on generosity and on our giving and on stewardship. We said Wednesday night we spent 45 minutes talking about the fact that giving is a proof of our love. I even made the parallel that I think it's a fair statement to say that you being here is a proof of your love. I understand there may be situations and times in which you cannot be here. Things come up. But for a person to say that I'm willingly on purpose because I just don't feel like going or want to go to miss worship services, they're missing out on an opportunity to show God that they love him. It's not a check the box. It's not, well, Joel's got 80% and somebody else has 90% or whatever. It's about this is a way we can show God we love him when we come to worship him. Our giving, when we give, it is a way that we show that we love God. Our works are things that we can do to show that we love God. Not to earn our salvation. That's what that whole other lesson is about when it comes to faith and works. But we see in Scripture that God has joined together faith and works. Let us not, as man, put it asunder. Number next here, baptism and Christ. Baptism and Christ. Once again, many folks would say, I want Christ, but I just don't know about that baptism part. I just don't understand it. I don't think it's important. I don't think it's necessary. And oftentimes there's a very serious discussion about what point, at what point are we saved? At what point are our sins washed away? God has joined together baptism and Christ. Paul would say in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3, he asked the question, you know, the Bible does this. The Holy Spirit does this sometimes to help us learn and to help us understand. Paul would write, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That idea of a rhetorical question. You should know this. You've been taught this. Do you not know? Are you not aware that as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, or excuse me, were baptized into his death. We see the connection there. And you've heard me say it before, probably, but I always make the point that I reckon that God could have saved us any way that he wanted, that he could have told us we have to do 100 jumping jacks. He could have told us that every person, every person in this world who wants to be saved has to travel to Jerusalem and put their hand on a rock where Jesus sat or stood or whatever. He could have done anything. I reckon he could because he's God and he's all-powerful. But when we read scripture and we see the beautiful picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and we understand that it's not just about getting wet and it's not just about taking a bath. And it's not just because God thought one day, well, you know, I, I think that water is as good as anything else, and I'll just pick that, and, and they'll do that. That's what we'll tell them they have to do. We see the picture of our death, burial, and resurrection. I'm so thankful that there are probably a lot of other ways that he could have chosen, but that this makes sense. It connects. And Paul would write about it as well in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
I don't know if it was 2018 when we first started or 2019, maybe at some point before the, the pandemic had hit. But I remember doing a sermon that I've seen as a Bible study before, but we put a, a circle in the bulletin and we went through most of the scriptures that talk about the things that are in Christ. And then, of course, the things that are outside of Christ. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Well, what does that mean as outside of Christ? Condemnation, right? And of course, then the question becomes, how do you get into Christ where all spiritual blessings are found, where no condemnation is found? We just read the verses. Romans 6.3, Galatians 3.27, we're baptized into Christ. We can make jokes and be, be facetious about jumping jacks or, or traveling Jerusalem or whatever, but it's be a beautiful picture that God has joined together, baptism and Christ. Let not man put asunder. I know it's easier to say, well, I just believe. I know it's easier to get a room full of people, even an arena full of thousands of people, and simply say, pray this prayer. I get that's easy. But I also get that baptism is not really that hard, right? And when we read Scripture, we understand that we should not separate these things. Next, God has joined together Christians. Christians, plain and simple, God hath joined together Christians. In John chapter 17, verses 20 through 22, where Jesus prays this prayer, it's a beautiful prayer, not long before he is going to pass away. Not long before he is going to not just pass away, of course, but lay down his life. Not just pass away, but to hang and suffer on the cross. You're probably familiar with John chapter 13 and 14, right? Chapter 13 is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Chapter 14 is where he makes the beautiful statement about I am the way, the truth, and the life. All this is leading up to his death. And in John chapter 17, if you have turned there, you'll notice that every single word, except for about 10 or 12 of them at the very beginning, are in red. If you have a, a Bible that has the words of Jesus in red. Jesus prays, a maybe more famous prayer and just a little bit later not so much in John but in Luke's account of the prayer at the garden you remember where his his sweat became like great drops of blood that's the prayer where we feel sometimes his heart and soul but can I challenge you to go home and read John 17 again because in John 17 I think Jesus is pleading with the father for several things and in the back half of that, verses 20 through 26 in total, he's praying for unity. He says that all who believe in him would be one. That's what his prayer is. Just as he and the Father are one, that we also may be one. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. Have you ever known any Christians to get in an argument have you ever known any Christians to get in an argument in a very public way? Maybe you've been involved in one of those before. I don't know. Jesus says that when we have unity, we are a light unto the world. That people should be able to look at the church and Christians and know that God is God. He is Father in heaven above. That he sent his son who left the church and that they are unified and united together in him. Unfortunately, what we often see is division. Jesus prayed for the unity of all Christians here. Christians are to be of the same mind and have no division. 
Paul's beautiful writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, specifically verse number 10. I, I picture a parallel with the words of Jesus because Paul says it more heartfelt. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, I plead, I plead with you, brethren, please speak the same thing. Be of one mind. Let there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. There are times that we have to take a stance for the truth. There are times that we have division because someone is going against the word of God. But there are also other times where Christians just enjoy picking a fight and fighting and fussing about things, dividing and splitting over things that maybe don't matter. That's a, another lesson for another time as well. But God has joined together Christians, Christians who should act like it, act like they're going to be in heaven together one day. You may have heard a preacher give that illustration. So you all can't get along here, but you think you're all going to be together in heaven one day, right? It's kind of humorous for us to think about, but unfortunately that's the way we treat it. God hath joined together Christians. You know what it is? It's work. It takes work. It takes listening. It takes communicating. It's hard sometimes. But I think the words of Jesus, I think the words of Paul by the Holy Spirit urging us to be united are important enough that we need to consider that God hath joined together Christians and we should not put them asunder. Last and finally this morning, God hath joined together salvation and a godly life. Salvation and a godly life. Some say they'll take their salvation, right? But I, I don't want to do anything else. I'll believe, absolutely. Some people may even say, well, I'll believe, and you know what? You want me to be baptized? I'll be baptized. That's fine. I, I can do that. But they don't want to change their living. They don't want to do anything different. They simply say, I want salvation, but I don't want to have to live in a godly way. They think that they want to go to heaven in their sins. But you know, that's not the purpose of Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 21, as Mary is having this interaction and Mary and Joseph and Jesus is not even born yet. Matthew 1, 21, Mary would bring forth a son and his name would be Jesus. Why? Once again, because it's just a good name and God just decided. No, his name would be Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That was his purpose. Seek and save the lost. Save people from their sins. His name is Jesus. That was his purpose. Why is it that we think we can have salvation but not follow after him and have this godly life? In Acts chapter 3 and verse number 26, Peter preached. This is after Acts chapter 2. Acts 3.26, but Peter is continuing to preach, and they are going to be persecuted. But in every one of those sermons, these beautiful sermons where he is preaching Christ, Peter preached that God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. How? In turning away every one of you from your iniquities, calling you out of darkness and into his light away from the sin, not into perfection because we all understand that none of us can obtain that, but out of the sin through salvation to a godly life. One final passage, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. God demands that we have a godly life. Titus 2, beginning in verse 11. 
For the grace of God that brings salvation, there it is again, what we want, has appeared to all men. Teaching us, what is salvation to do? Is it just a good feeling? Is it just a moment in time in which we don't have to do anything else? No, the salvation teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking. We talked a few weeks ago about not focusing on what's behind us, but looking ahead. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. There it is, folks. There's the gospel once again. Jesus gave his life. He is the author of salvation. By the grace of God, salvation has appeared so that we can set aside these things. We can bury them. We can bury them. We have the picture in Scripture of burying ourselves in the water. But you know what? I don't wonder sometimes if maybe it's not better that we all went out and dug a hole in the ground and buried, even physically, if we were able to, some of these sinful lifestyles, to have a mental picture, even though we have a beautiful one here from Jesus and the Holy Spirit and from God. But we are to put those things aside, live soberly, righteously, and godly, and focus on Christ, looking for His return so that we can have the salvation so we can have a home in heaven and when he did that he purified us he redeemed us he didn't say well you know what i'm going to shed my blood i'm going to suffer that pain and agony but you you just believe and maybe be baptized and that's all you got to do just go back to your sinful ways you don't actually have to change or did he say through the words of scripture that he would give his life that he would shed his blood, but that we are to be called into a godly life. That is the message of Scripture, and it is beautiful and wonderful and one that we can be thankful for. And how dare we or anyone try to separate or put asunder what God hath joined together. When we think about that phrase, we think most often about marriage. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the words of Jesus there in Matthew chapter 19 that we can learn about God's plan for husband and wife and for marriage. But as we have pivoted on that today and thought about these other things in which Scripture tells us that God hath joined together, including baptism in the church, including faith and works, including salvation and a godly life, it's with those things in mind that we're about to sing the song of invitation that's been selected. That we would encourage you this morning, if you've never put on Christ in baptism, if you've never denied, never denied yourself and been gospel obedient, that you would consider doing that this morning. We usually mention it sort of quickly at the end of the lesson, but we always try to remind you that we would study with you as long as possible, as soon as possible, to help you understand this most important decision. If you're here this morning, you're not a child of God, why not? Why not come back? Why not come to Him and be submissive? Be obedient and allow the blood of Christ to wash away your sins so that the Lord can add you to his. You've struggled in this life. You've wandered away. You've allowed sin to overtake you to cause separation between you and God. We're thankful that God doesn't give us one shot and that's it. Sorry, you messed up. You're out of luck. He gives us his second law of pardon. As listed here on the screen, that we are to be faithful unto death, that we are to walk in the light. But when we mess up, we can confess our sins. 
we can repent and pray. And as we do that, he is faithful and just. He is willing to forgive us that we can walk in the light as he is in the light. But we have to, once again, be obedient. We have to be submissive and admit that maybe we have a shortcoming. Maybe we have sin and we need help. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling in some capacity, but seeing your family join together, you would love for nothing more than to bring this care or concern or worry before your brothers and sisters so that we can pray with you and for you. We are thankful for the opportunity, even now as we stand together and as we sing.